Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, you've reached the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. It's Liz. And Matt. And we travel way back in time to when we were five pounds lighter and discussed the Thanksgiving games. Ooh, five pounds. That is very generous. But the 49ers were not very generous to Lamar Jackson through the air, but he did still get the win. Benny Snell, Andy Dalton, Devontae Parker, Drew Lutz. Yes, it was a Sunday full of underdogs, and we are here for it. So listen up. Hello, and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. We are here, Liz Loza, Matt Harmon, Ragu, and Brett, all here after Thanksgiving, ready to break down week 13. Matt. We only have three more Sundays left. I know. Can't you see and taste the finish line? I don't want to taste anything after Thanksgiving, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was rough getting into these jeans today, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Do you have to do the hop? How dare you? I'm t- I've done the hop. <laughs> I'm, we're, we're all kindred spirits here. They're lucky I didn't come in my joggers <laughs> today. That would have now that would have been a statement. Joggers we, and fake lashes. Yeah, just giving up. Um, up. I'm actually, you know, kind of bummed. Here's the thing. I am bummed that Sundays in the regular season will be over because as much of a grind as it is, it is enjoyable to get to do what we do. And I'm very appreciative of that. No question. I am looking forward, however, to the playoffs in real life football because I feel like there's just a different level of stakes. Well, there's a different level of stakes. And there's also like I say this every year. There are about a handful of teams that (laughs) by a week 11, I'm like, okay, you can go now. Right. Like it's always the Bucks. It's always the Giants. The Steelers. The St- hey, and that's the thing. Some of them don't go away. Some of them squeak their way into the playoffs. For one week. Yeah, for one week. And then they lose on a Saturday and we forget about them for the rest of time. I'm liking some of these crappy teams, though. Like the Bengals, they got me a little bit. But more over than the Bengals, if you were listening to this podcast in June or May, you know that I had a soft spot for the Miami Dolphins heading into the oh, season. Yeah. And oh, I got some burning love. It's not Rosen. I thought it might be Rosen. It's <laughs> no. not Rosen. It's Dad Fitzpatrick, Devontae Parker, Fantasy Zombie, Patrick Laird. Mm! These crazy formations. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if the Bears are my on-again, off-again oh. husband slash ex, and the Rams are the all-very-retired, even after this week's side piece, then maybe... Dolphins are like a pool boy. Maybe they're Sean Mendez in the in the fantasy once in a while. Just get there, Matt. All right, I'm there. <laughs> it's usually the teams in that sort of Bears-ish mid-range that are the ones that I'm like, 
you can go. But teams like the Dolphins and even the Bengals to a degree, you know, they're they're fascinating enough to fit within the fabric of the story in a good way. Something broke in the tries. It was Garner Minshew. Oh, yeah. If you're broken and you're trying. Mm, I'm here for it. But let's talk about Thursday's games real quick. Um, if Brett will let us. Speaking of um, broken teams. put it on teams. the outline, so I assume he's going to let us. <laughs> you read the outline? That's right there. Look it's at that. It's a Thanksgiving Whoa. miracle. Broken teams may or may not be trying. Lions at Chicago. Lions at Bears. Opposite, but Actually, keep going. That's how you wrote it in the damn outline. Oh, sorry, I got. Right? I was blown away I by the blow. Myself. Uh, you were blowed away. Yeah, blowed away. You were blowed away, girl. So was I. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, like, see, that was an interesting moment. Where it was like, oh, something that's something that's unexpected, perhaps broken, but it's trying. I will give the Lions credit in a season where backup quarterbacks have come and gone and have go- ridden the roller coaster. Ridden the roller coaster, idiot. Rode the roller coaster. <laughs> no, ridden, not rodin. It's rode. Rode, ridden. I've ridden the roller coaster. Ridden, I thought you were making... No, it's not rodin. They've been, on, they've been on a damn roller coaster. They've hamstered some... the roller coaster. They, like got on that, they got on that roller coaster and they rid it. Rid it. <laughs> in, that, in that type of season, I'll tell you what, the Lions have been, both of their backups have remained interesting and, and, and made the team watchable, which. I, I thank I thank them, but I will tell you what it was definitely um, tilting. If you like benched Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, like what are you gonna do, right? Like that was of course the right yeah. call, but tough to watch that on your Thanksgiving. Um, also, just, I mean T.J. Hawkinson leading the receiving core with eleven looks because you know there is a narrative out there that suggests that young corner quarterbacks like to lean on their tight ends, right? But they need to then actually be able to successfully lean on them and yeah. not just pull in six balls for 18 yards. Matt, a YCR of three <laughs> yards for 18 yard, three yards per reception. That is that's a Matt Harmon kind of uh, stat line. There. Okay, stop. You love this, it. this is disgusting. You love that's those horrific. Big slot targets, those middle of the field bodies. Speaking of middle-of-the-field slot targets, Anthony Miller had himself a game. We've been seeing this percolating over the past few weeks. Taylor Gabriel was not playing on Thanksgiving, but in his stead, Anthony Miller led the Bears receiving core in looks, caught 9 of 13 for 140. Moving forward, are, is, it, is, is there anything outside of Allen Robinson that we can rely on on a week-to-week basis other than being disappointed? Well, I mean, you're our Bears correspondent. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. You're our Bears correspondent. W- what was different in this game that had been different from previous contests? I mean, I think both of these teams got off to hot starts. Like, both of them looked pretty good. And then the Bears, I guess they sustained it more. They were more steady throughout than the Lions were, which is insane. Than the third string quarterback yeah, led yeah, the Lions. Right. I mean, not, we're look, not. we're grading on a serious curve here with Mitchell Trubisky, but this was a really in- encouraging performance. I mean, it's got to be like the worst nightmare for you Bears people, like that he's going to string together a few decent performances here and he's going to get rid again next year. Not get rid of, but they're going to ride him again next year. He's going to get ridden. He's going to get ridden again next year. You know what I mean? So... I think the encouraging thing about Anthony Miller is that we know that this is a player who was dealing with injuries both last year and at the top of this season. Um, 
whose usage was certainly concerning, but also he saw targets in the end zone. And we know both of us comped him to Doug Baldwin when he came out of the NFL draft two years ago. And we know he has a contested catch ability and can be one of those players that's like a nice red zone target for a struggling quarterback. So I was encouraged by that much. Now, he will see uh, Dallas next week. Then he's at Green Bay. Not for nothing, the Chiefs in Week 16 is intriguing, you know, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark both healthy for the Chiefs right now. That pass rush has certainly stiffened a whole bunch. I think that's probably going to spook Mitchell Trubisky. But again, I think that only means good things for Anthony Miller moving forward. So I would keep him on a uh, stock up radar, if you will. I agree with that. I don't know that he's suddenly going to be anything more than just your run-of-the-mill wide receiver three that you're debating, but that is what we're here to talk about. And I think, yeah, both of these secondaries, neither one of them is is very imposing, especially when you talk about a slot receiver. We saw Cole Beasley get that revenge game against the Cowboys. Get it. Nice transition. That is professional. Talk about it. Well, same thing. Yeah, I mean, look, this was... This was probably the best game I've seen Josh Allen ever play. And, like, I think we need to give Josh Allen some credit. Again? I feel like you do this every week to us. What do you mean? Every week is the is the Josh Allen apology tour. I'm not, I'm not apologizing because I don't know that I ever hated Josh Allen like the football universe seemed to hate Josh Allen. I mean, I just think he's stabilized to the point that, like, okay, he's a pretty – reliable starting quarterback like and I think he's getting better that's the thing I think he's gotten better from week one until now he's not perfect but I would say that this was the best game that he's played and we know that primetime games island games like Thanksgiving contest Mm -hmm. especially against Dallas is certainly going to set the narrative Um, I I just think that you got to give Allen a little bit of credit and frankly there's a lot of exciting players in this offense I don't know that Cole Beasley is one of those exciting players but he's a functional NFL receiver you got John Brown like just crushing it as a true number one receiver Frank Gore still doing his thing kind of sort of Devin Singletary's doing a thing but Devin Singletary is the story uh, of the offense here I completely agree. I feel like the um, passing of the baton has officially happened. Can we say that much when you look at yes. Singletary's work in the passing no game question. as well? Yeah. And we were feeling good about that on the Cowboys side of things. Amari Cooper did not find the end zone, but we know that Tredavious White is a bad man. He still caught 8 of 11 for 85. That's a pretty decent bounce back from seeing Stephon Gilmore in coverage the week before. No doubt. Uh, there's, like, I, I think I talked about this on the preview podcast for Thanksgiving games, but like, there's a little bit of like Cowboys Twitter theory that like Amari Cooper's only good at home versus on the road. This right. will give some more credence to that theory. I suppose you can continue to track that. Um, also encouraging, you know, we talked about Tony Pollard being potentially a sleeper because we knew that this Bills run defense wasn't very good. Yeah. He had three carries for seven yards and he didn't, he had no catches. He did have one target, but Zeke was really good both from an efficiency perspective as a runner and also caught seven passes for 66 yards. I think that's a front seven that we can continue to exploit because they're super aggressive and all that. But, like, this to me, I mean, not neither the Cowboys or the Eagles wants to win the damn uh, <laughs> NFC East. They keep passing yeah. the baton back to each other like it's freaking hot potato. Um, I think the best thing that could happen for the Cowboys is that they uh, they go to the playoffs but and then still fire Jason Garrett. I hope they have the stones to do such a thing. I think they are going to do it. I think I think we've got yeah, some think, insider think, info yeah. coming. I think Brett might have some insider info on the NFL podcast coming. So you guys want to check that out if you're interested in Cowboys Twitter and perhaps a change at HC after nine damn years. But let's talk about 
the Saints and the Falcons. Um, I'm going to be honest, like, this is when Thanksgiving was really popping off for me. Yeah. I didn't watch a whole ton of this game. Um, I was happy to see Alvin Kamara. I, I felt like when I looked up, he was being highlighted. His stat line wasn't, you know, egregious. He never found the end zone, but he was being used a lot. And so I was encouraged by that. It's something that, I, if I'm being honest, Matt, in one of your 400 damn articles you referenced. Uh, well, I mean, he's apparently not allowed to score touchdowns anymore, which is kind of a shame. He's only scored in one game this entire season, right? And but that Latavius was Murray didn't score a touchdown either, so at least that didn't hurt no. quite. As I mean, with yeah. Taysom Hill, who uh, I imagine the poor well, folks who were running the Twitter handle here at our company, at our fine company, were probably wondering if they, there were some uh, running back eligibility questions. I mean, I'm sure that's the that's the stone worst experience on Twitter when you're running the fantasy handle is like every goofball out there adding you about, you know, can we get flex eligibility for Taysom Hill for like his one game every month where he's good and is totally unusable otherwise so people need to like get a grip with that it's like we're trying to help you save you from yourself I didn't see much of this game either uh we cooked a 30 pound turkey for Thanksgiving so it took a long time to be ready so it was just about during the start of this game when it was ready uh and I was encouraged to get off my foot that I've uh done a lot of damage to uh, uh, so there was, I was a KitchenAid mixer dropped on Matt's foot and he is he's hobbled I'm hobbled he's in a he's in a foot brace like Justin Jackson man I'm not in a foot brace I mean you could be I probably could be okay but you know you gotta play through the pain <laughs> um I will say your boy Russell Gage you called this <laughs> um, this is another one of your sexy slot receivers Matt's sexy <laughs> slot receivers a new uh... segment on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast Sponsored by. Let's drop in the baseline here. Let's get a little skin of Max for Matt's uh, oh, okay. receiver segment. <laughs> Sponsored by Silk Almond Milk. Oh. Because those guys are uh... lean and mean. That was what I was going to say. <laughs> he did it. Yep, all organic here, baby. So Russell Gage owned and still only 11% of leagues, so he is widely available. O- available if you're doing the math, which I'm not great at, in well over 80% of leagues. He had nine targets in this game. We know that the Saints can be had uh, via the slot, but my goodness, second in team targets tied with Christian Blake, whatever that thing is. Um, <laughs> I agree. Caught five balls for 52 yards and found the end zone. How do you like his chances against your uh, next week, your um, I'm mine. Oh, how, oh how no, I no, 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 nope. Do I, oh, we, we, again, we broke. No, we broke up, and we are never ever getting back oh, together. You're like a Taylor Swift song, huh? Uh, I tweeted that today, actually. Oh Christ! <laughs> I hate myself. Now I really hate myself. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that he's a fine, if, especially if Julio Jones doesn't play. But I would bet he probably ends up playing. That takes a little bit of the shine off uh, Gage to the point that he's probably just a floor play, An maybe ancillary piece. Yeah, sure. Um, and in general, I'm not that enthused with Gage, but it was it was a nice little two week run. Well, here. the team you dumped the Carolina Panthers for. Well, actually, you liked the 49ers first, and then the Panthers got in there easy and hot, and then you learned your lesson and you went back to the 49ers, and they played the game of the day. Let's. Against the Ravens. No, I remember you saying you like the 49ers, but you love the Panthers. Right, because in a moment of weakness, it's like when you see the person like, all right, they're looking pretty good on Instagram, and then they slide in your DMs, and then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm just saying. Maybe, maybe give it a shot, and then like two weeks later, you're reminded exactly why you broke up with them in the first place, mm. and you, you finally cut the cord. You, you do the right thing, healthy choice, they're out. Sure. As they should be. 
productive. As they freaking should All be. of the history, all of the history, all of the love. Going back to the 49ers, who, has, who have proven to be the superior team. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They did lose today, though. Yeah, they lost Your mom's today. favorite team. I think your mom <laughs> likes the Panthers more, just saying. My mom definitely does not give one about the Carolina Panthers. What about your aunt? She She's a Ravens fan. Right. So how does she feel about the Panthers? Doesn't care. Okay. Uh, but definitely was... going deep, going deep. I know um, Matt has talked about. I was his, she was his mom was in the uh, the, the Bachelor fantasy situation. Check out season two coming at you soon. Um, I will say this though, my, yeah, my aunt is a big uh, Ravens fan. She was texting me a lot before this matchup because it was a big one. I was t- I told her I'm content to just see Lamar win. It's a lo- it's a win win situation for me. I love to set up my life that way. Now, I think that in general, like, there's no shame in losing to the most uh, transformative force in the NFL this season uh, on the road by three points for the 49ers. Um, in general, this was the thing. Like, these were two great units going up against each other. Sure. The Baltimore Ravens and the 49ers defense. The Baltimore offense, 49ers defense. And the Ravens are just, like, well, they're both great. But the Ravens are something unique and different. Yep. And even when the 49ers sort of contained Lamar Jackson as a passer, you know, 4.6 yards per attempt, just 105 yards. Only four more yards through the air than he had on the ground. Right. And that's the thing. Like, you can take away one thing from Lamar and he can just go and do the other. He fumbled uh, in this game, but that was like the only downside. You know, there wasn't like these wild misses or whatever. Like, he's now he's in an accurate passer. It's just every week. They do something, and this was still an encouraging performance for the 49ers to me because, number one, they got back to running the ball. It was not with the running back that anyone expected, which is pretty standard. Raheem Mostert has 19 carries for 146 yards, 7.7 a clip. Um, and then you also had Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, put up another solid performance. It wasn't great for fantasy, but 71% completion rate, 7.9 yards per attempt, triple-digit passer rating. Passing lines, uh, passing Stats for both Garoppolo and Jackson, very similar. Both yeah. um, Garoppolo completed 15 of 21. Lamar completed 14 of 23. Again, like you're saying, YPA different uh, advantage to Garoppolo. But still, uh, I think Garoppolo is proving that he can get it done through there. Or um, if you are not a Garoppolo believer, at least you can admit that Shanahan is, Shanahan is scheming his receivers open enough to make him successful. I think if you're not a Garoppolo believer, your like, standards are just too high. To, to be honest, I think you just need to manage expectations. A little bit tilting in this was George Kittle's performance. Yeah. While he uh, he only drew four targets, caught two balls for 17 yards. That happens, man. I mean, shit happens in a uh, – especially when you're playing a great defense like Baltimore. Right. You know, your possessions are going to be limited. You knew this was going to be a run-heavy game. There wasn't going to be a ton of offensive drives. So, in general, yeah, I mean, I'm not I, – I, I, if you – you have to just kind of take it on the chin. Hopefully, this didn't knock you out of the playoffs. But you've had you have George Kittle. Like, give me a break. But let's say it did, and let's say you've made the playoffs, or maybe you've been humanely put to pasture by your college roommate who drafted the aforementioned Lamar Jackson. But we're not here to talk negatively today. Week thirteen was a week of underdogs, so let's start with Duck Hodges and Benny Effing Snell. Who avenged Mason Rudolph against wow. the Browns? Do we have to say that they avenged Mason Rudolph? I mean, that was yes. Yeah, but like you know, who cares? Screw Mason Rudolph. Maybe Mason's mom cares. I don't care about Mason's mom. Thanks for subscribing, Mrs. Rudolph. Um, I think that That's this just mean. That's mean. <laughs> unnecessary. It was a little unnecessary, but whatever. I am what I am. Uh, the Steelers, I think, 
under Benny Snell and Delvin Hodges, I think, or Devlin Hodges, Duck Hodges, they're just much more in line with the identity of their team right now, which is kind of what we talked about in the preview podcast, is that the Browns, you know, are this high-flying offensive team, but you knew that the Steelers' defense was going to be able to put the clamps on them to a degree. Now, the Browns got off running hot, but to Duck and Snell's credit, they kept it rolling. I know there was a minor bit of tilt that Jalen Samuels got the start and got the first mm-hmm. touch out of the backfield, but come on, that stuff doesn't matter. I mean, he didn't have a uh, – he only had seven carries for – 32 yards and Benny Snell ended up having 16 and it was Benny Snell again who had those um, end zone looks those goal line looks and that is what we want out of our running backs when we are playing especially in standard scoring leagues should we talk about uh, James Washington who's like yeah I guess we should <laughs> I, mean... I liked him last week it was a good play I mean and then but the funny the funny thing is like you know, the narrative was like, oh, his college quarterback yeah. and him. And now he's like actually having success once Duck gets back there. Cause it's it's like, a gorgeous throw. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, the throw to get, I mean, the play that he had last yards. week was great too. So I don't, I don't know. I think with James Washington, it's just, a, it is very, very chasey. And you can be, oh man, I mean, you could really get banged if you do chase that because there's no volume coming his way. I mean, he has seven, seven targets last week, and then four this week, he catches all four of them for 111 yards and a touchdown. So you know that you can easily get banged if you're relying yeah, on Yeah, but on when you're like in that. Arizona in week 13 and mm-hmm. you're in the fantasy playoffs and you know you're, I mean, this is, now you're really must win, right? There's no next week if you don't win. I think maybe you chase that. I don't. I don't hate it. I think it obviously depends on three scores over his last four games. Who your options are, but yeah, in a do or die situation, you can start to look at like, all right, I don't have to like feel as good about this anymore. So I think you know your ceiling and floor here, which are there's a big gap between them. But I I like it. I think you could do a lot worse. Now, would you continue if you did have to rank moving to Cleveland side of things, Cleveland's backfield? would you rank Nick Chubb ahead of Kareem Hunt, or are you still um, deferring to, or or would you switch that? I mean, I'm not switching that. I no. think these I just guys. Saw a couple of people tweeting that, and I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. Oh come on, get a grip, people. Uh, Nick Chubb is still what makes the offense go. Now it didn't go very far today, admittedly, uh, but 16 carries to seven for Kareem Hunt. Obviously, we know Kareem Hunt is going to have the advantage in the passing game. He scored a touchdown today, but he only had five targets. So it's not like he was getting that same sort of usage when you're pushing towards double digits. you know. So I think Hunt is still a much thinner play than Chubb is, even if there was a touchdown score. And you really like Chubb in week 14 versus Cincinnati because they can be run all over. Yeah. They kind of don't like tackling very much, so... I get it. I heard James Lofton on the Broncos Chargers broadcast say that tackling is like a relationship. You got to be committed. And I don't think the Bengals are uh, very committed to their current relationship with tackling right now. Or their current relationship with their roster. Nope. Although they did get a win today. So maybe we should we should just skip over to the Bengals who got their first win of the season over the New York Jets who were supposed to be fire. I mean, the amount of Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson stacks. That was kind of half right. I saw this week in DFS was was ludicrous. I ended up going Mahomes Hardman also half right. Uh, but regardless, 
what, what do we make of this situation? I mean, we know that. So part of the argument for Sam Darnold was that with Andy Dalton back under center, there'd be more fight back. Right. Like then Darnold be forced to pass more. Uh, he did. <laughs> he did manage 48 attempts. <laughs> That's a lot. Right. He only completed 28 of those. That's not a lot. For five yards per attempt. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Not very good. Sacked four times. Uh, 71 quarterback rating. Didn't have any turnovers. Lovely. But I saw Connor Rogers, I think is a New York Jets beat writer. He said, Adam Gase said he didn't have any time for Thanksgiving this year and then came out with a game plan, which was worse than if he had just asked, pushed Ask Madden every play. So <laughs> not good. Uh, I still think the coaching is a problem on this team. I still think the offensive scheme is a problem on this team. And that's going to show up. Now, it shouldn't have shown up against a team like the Bengals, but you have to wonder too, like, look, we talk about this a lot, but the players in the locker room aren't stupid, you know, like they're not, and they're not out there trying to lose, you know, these guys can be, they're not trying to be out there, they're not trying to, they're not out there trying to lose, but at the same time, they know when you've got a guy like Ryan Finley back there who gives you no chance, maybe when they see Andy Dalton back there, it's more of a, okay, we, we got it. We got a shot again. Like we can, we can lift it up a little bit and they play a little bit harder and bring out the worst in a Jets team that also isn't very good. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot here. I mean, I, I was optimistic. I think part of the Jets problem is that they don't have an identity. No, they are identity free. And that is problematic. You would imagine their identity would be built around Le'Veon Bell, but then you realize that Adam Gase didn't want him. And so that certainly adds to the lack of cohesion for this team. Um, Robbie Anderson, though, has been on fire for three straight weeks. And if I am going to pull out a silver lining, I was hoping that, frankly, the Jets would win this in convincing fashion because it would be a nice confidence boost consecutively for Sam Darnold, which I think this franchise quarterback needs heading into 2020. And his ability to connect with Anderson deep despite various issues, including the O-line, would help boost that. Now, again, half of, like some of that is true. And so let's you know, be optimistic about that moving forward. I, I, I also just think that, I mean, I, I don't know what we do with the Jets from here on out. You don't not play Le'Veon Bell at this point. So, no. Ugh. I mean, it's it's the worst. This team, I think, has shown us that they're not good enough for all of their pieces to go off. Sure. Even in great spots. So that's the worst part of it, too, is that, like, you could talk yourself into Robbie Anderson in this game, but you could also talk yourself into Ryan Griffin. You could also talk yourself into James Crowder. Hey, Liz, not out of the question that you talk yourself into Demaryius Thomas based on some of the usage that he's been getting. Get out of here. <laughs> but there's no way you talk yourself into all of these players going off, but they all see about the same in terms of raw targets they just get targeted on very different areas of the field so I I think it's if you're trying to count on this Jets offense at any point even with a good schedule the rest of the way that is not an easy errand I will say that versus Miami at home at least you've got home advantage home field advantage so I'm going to continue to fire up Anderson and Bell with some amount of confidence because the, the matchup is good and there isn't any traveling Last thing on the Bengals, they do get the Browns twice over their next three games, sandwiched in between there is New England, so that's pretty tough. But this is, a, as we all know, Miles Garrett-less Browns defense. So I think that, you know, you're going to continue to fire up Joe Mixon because his volume is too good. And Tyler Boyd has showed quite well in back-to-back games. He chirped about his volume uh, and scored last week. He did it again this week. And so I think he is earning his keep, as they say. This is the thing about the Bengals. Like, my point earlier was, like, maybe they got up 
a little bit to play with Andy Dalton back there because they knew they had a fighter's chance, which they definitely didn't have with Ryan Finley back there because this is not like an 0-16 team. I mean, they're bad. They're really, really bad at very crucial spots like the secondary and their offensive line, hugely problematic. They've obviously had some injuries too, but they have good players like Mixon, Boyd. Those are good players. Their tight ends are, are guys we've, you know, we've used in fantasy before, whether it's Tyler Eifert or CJ Uzama or whatever. Um, there's some guys on that defensive line that are good players. Also at linebacker, they're, they're, they're just not even NFL roster worthy guys going out there and taking snaps. So at the end of the day, I think they were too talented to be like an 0 and 16 team. And this performance could have happened at any point. It's unfortunate that it happens to another bad team in the Jets. Um, Matt, if I were to tell you that Carson Wentz passed for 310 yards and three touchdowns, what would you think? That's all I told you. Thought the Eagles probably won that game. Right. You think maybe he was back on track after struggling with some weird weather conditions over the past two weeks? Yeah. What if I told you that that wasn't enough to get it done against the Dolphins, who had only won two games up until this point? I would be very concerned uh, for the city of Philadelphia (laughs) because I imagine that is a pissed fan base. Sure. I mean, you asked me what I thought. That's what I think. Okay. Um, Well, now that you have checked in on the city of Philadelphia and realized they're all okay. Are they okay, though? I mean, I don't live in Philadelphia. I don't know. know. Their Twitter account was getting ratioed after the game, too, (laughs) when they posted the final hard ratio for— So things are not good. At Philadelphia Eagles. If you're going by the ratio to good feelings, not good. So, anyways, point being— this is a really rough loss for the Eagles to yeah. take. Um, but the Dolphins, like, on that side of it for a minute, there's legitimately a lot of good There's some good here. stuff here. Yeah, there's good things happening. Um, Devontae Parker is the headline, right? After, he has been, man. At, yeah, right. He's been good, like, week after week for about Three two months weeks. now. And, I, mean, I mean, just generally in terms of getting, like, good volume, he's been getting good volume for, like, um, over a month now. I think he was uh, overshadowed a bit by Preston Williams because everybody liked this rookie. and the, Right, right. He's not and, the same dust ball that we've been dealing with for 100 years. And then the volume tended to lean Parker's way. He's getting, you know, double-digit targets for practically a month now. And he's beating awesome shutdown receivers. I mean, he had freaking seven catches for 159 yards and two touchdowns this week. He is a beast. And sure, Ronald Darby isn't Tredavious White, but he's still on Tredavious White. He's on pace for 1,138 yards. $17 like, DFS this week. Yeah, that was, uh, was a good buy then. And I think he's going to continue to be one because, you know, what you remember when it feels like 100 years ago, but when Jay Cutler had his unfortunate swan song as the Dolphins quarterback in his final NFL season, yeah. he called Devontae Parker a faster Alshon Jeffrey. Today, he finally looked like, and I mean, he's looked like it all season, but he's a, fi- he's a faster Alshon Jeffrey. That's what he looked like. You know, he's winning vertically. He was mm-hmm. running good routes down the field. He was winning 50-50 balls, like plucking the ball away with ferocity from opposing defenders. And that's the Devontae Parker... That we saw back at Louisville. And not for nothing, Elshon Jeffrey caught nine for 137 and a touchdown, making Carson Wentz much better, showing what an in- integral part of this offense it, it he is. No, well, see, I don't know if I'd say he's an integral part of the oh, offense. Oh, I think or, he is key to making Carson Wentz feel comfortable. I think it's just the downgrade from Jeffrey to Matt what's Collins? after him is ginormous. So in that sense, mm. yes, he's key. 
But I don't think I think that's a, all confidently related, though. Oh, yeah. I think that makes sense. But even in still today, like Wentz was far from perfect. No. 70, 61% completion rate, 6.7 yards per attempt. That's still lower than you want it. And another turnover um, took two sacks. Like the Philadelphia Eagles problems are not as I expected they would be not all solved just because some of their skill position guys are starting to come back. They have a lot. They have a lot of issues. It was at least encouraging to see Miles Sanders in a workhorse type role. Mm-hmm. I know we, we talked about this on FFL, but he had five catches for 22 yards and a touchdown on five targets. And he had 17 carries for 83 yards, 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, that was pretty good. Obviously, this is the perfect matchup. So it's like, that's as good as it's going to get. Congrats. There you go. There's your ceiling. Um, Mike Isecki, who you trolled me about. Two oh, weeks ago. On. I don't understand. You this, this, converted this, this, five of seven for 79 a touch. I believe you said uh, you need to get over that. It's not going to happen. Hope well, is poison. You do need to get over that, and it's not going to happen. It's happening. Well, it happened. It happened. It happened for a brief moment in time. It happened. So wait, not... I'm just saying, like, I saw that it happened two weeks ago. It did not happen, and then it happened again. So my so projection of Gaseki is like uh, an upside play at an otherwise decimated position is, in fact, uh, worthy of like, listen, if you're going to mess with OJ Howard, you can mess with Mike Gusecki. It is happening. Not all hope is poison. Sometimes hope is just, just hope. Just hope. That's Sometimes very, it makes you feel good. It's very uplifting, Liz. Oh, God, I hate you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee at Indianapolis. Um, You know, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill winning locker rooms and hearts and games. You I had a lot it. of you had a lot of Ryan Tannehill takes like thirty minutes ago. Well, the thing please stuff our ear holes with them, Matt. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill is one of I think the most fascinating parts of the story of the 2019 season right now because he is he you know I expected when he came into the fold here as the Titans starting quarterback he would be just another version of Marcus Mariota, far too robotic, not willing to take chances because that's who he was as the Dolphins quarterback, but he's much like Devontae Parker, his former teammate, is rewriting the narrative. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has come in and brought life to a team that has been lifeless at the quarterback position for a long time. And I think it's because he's like playing with house money. You know, his he's not burdened by all the expectations of a um, being the franchise quarterback the for a team. The pressure of that. He's playing fast loose. He's playing for a new contract. And I think overall, like he's he's just shown that there's a lot on this Titans roster, not just I'm talking like receivers or whatever, but Derrick Henry's awesome. That's brought out more and more by having Ryan Tannehill back there. I think the defense is really good. Like all things are good in Tennessee because of this. Do you know what I think he's been that Marcus Mariota hasn't? Two things. Resilient and joyful. He has gratitude for what he's doing because he's getting a second chance. And it doesn't matter if he sacks six times. He's going to pop back up and keep going and keep trying. And he does not care. He is doing it for something more than, uh, I don't know, a brand in Miami or or like a thumbs up on talk radio. So I appreciate that he is resilient and joyful and not moving from a place of fear, which so many people do. You know, I think with Marcus Mariota, too, like, Everyone says he's super well-liked in Tennessee. People, you know, locker room, one thing. Like, I think, I'm sure players in the locker room really like Marcus Mariota. And the community really likes him. He's very integral to just Nashville in general. He's he's really well-liked. I mean, Titans fans were willing to fight to the very end that it was going to happen for Marcus Mariota. And I think that's because they like him. 
But there's a difference between being well-liked and then winning over a locker room, like you said, because he plays with that sense of joy and reckless abandon. Sometimes it's okay to have a strong personality. Maybe you make different kinds of wins when you have a strong personality. I agree with that. And the type I, of people you attract are not sheep, but yeah. interesting people. I think that makes a lot of sense. And just in general, too, like this uh, AFC South race is rather fascinating. I think that. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, probably not anymore. Well, it depends on what happens Sunday night. And the Colts are done. But That's Col- it. So if you wanted some uh, some Disney Cinderella post Andrew Luck sort no. of story here, let me tell you, that's all formulaic that don't exist in real life. It's also, yeah, I mean, it's not it because it's not that type of team, man. <laughs> There's no fairy godmother sprinkling some bippity-boppity-boop dust on the Indianapolis Colts. It's done so. Yeah, well, that's well said. Um, but from a fantasy perspective, Jack Doyle continues to be the man. Uh, he led the team in targets. He's going to continue to do that. T.Y. Hilton, I mean, I'm curious if Frank Reich just doesn't shut T.Y. Hilton down, right? He re-aggravated that calf in injury in practice this past week. He's been struggling through injury. He's been admitting that he pay- is pay- playing through the pain. My thought here is, like, why, why are you going to keep doing this? Like, your playoff race is over. I, I completely I think that's pretty likely to be at least a conversation in the building. Hmm. And and maybe maybe listen to a player on the Colts organization who's saying he's hurt and just believe him. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Especially a good one. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Tampa Bay at Jacksonville. You had a funny tweet. Um, please don't describe the meme, no. but just leave leave it uh, to the tweet about um, Nick Foles looking at or Jameis Winston looking at. Now, now I've botched it. You've Congratulations, botched it. I, I mean, did it. I said that this. Uh, Man, even Jameis Winston is blushing at Nick Foles' turnovers here because it was rough uh, out there for Nick Foles. Had, I think, three turnovers on three straight drives. It's I don't care what the logic behind the decision to put Foles back in there. It was wrong. It was fear-based logic. I think so, too. They wanted to prove that their investment was correct. They've like... They've doubted, but they've like doubted themselves in a weird way from the beginning about Foles. Because remember, they paid him all that extra money, not because people were bidding against him, but to give him credibility within the locker room. Yeah, but they also remember the addition of John D. Filippo. Like there was all of that reunion narrative here. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that Flip was able to, or Gardner and Flip together were able to lift this offense a little bit better than Foles has. And and Minshew has risen up and taken his rightful place as the QB in Jacksonville. And this is the way it should always be. And Doug Marone is going to get fired, but he was going to get fired whether or not Nick Foles lasted. Yeah, like that's the thing. What would Nick Foles have had to, to do to, to save this coaching staff? You know what I mean? I don't know what I don't know what the answer to that would have been. Well, it does feel a little bit like this was a Tom Coughlin, like Tom Coughlin wants to establish the run and that is working. But you've made an excellent point before about how uh, Nick Foles plays quarterback doesn't allow Leonard Fournette to excel at his best self. Yeah, Nick Foles is a shotgun spread RPO based quarterback and. That is not what Leonard Fournette does. Leonard Fournette is a straight Adrian Peterson style, slam it up the gut, eye formation type of back. And that's, yeah, it's, it was oil and water to begin with, which again makes the investment that much more curious. But also, too, like the Jaguars are bad, really bad right now. I mean, in the problem, like they've been outscored 103 to 44 during Nick Foles' tenure as a starter, if you count today, obviously. Um, that's problematic because 
they're supposed to be a defense-based, run-based operation mm-hmm. with the quarterback not really pl- like playing a more of a complementary role, which I think in an ideal world, Nick Foles could have done that, especially if Leonard Fournette is breaking out and DJ Chark is breaking out and Westbrook and Conley are pretty solid contributors. But when the passing game has to be the engine of the offense, Nick Foles is not up to that. I don't know if Gardner Minshew is necessarily up to that too, but like for a team that is so dead in the water, you know, in terms of excitement, in terms of energy, you trade your best player in the middle of the season, Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And well, that was also a, a Coughlin versus a, yeah, a, a Coughlin, yeah, Coughlin versus player thing. You trade and the, the fans were still getting excited about the team because of Gardner Minshew and the energy he brought to the equation. And again, you can't tell me that the players don't feel that energy too and feed off of it and therefore perform better. And so when you take that out because, oh, we need to justify our investment in the quarterback, everything falls apart. Well, it's and a business decision, not a football decision. And everything has fallen apart as a result of that decision. And I don't know that like Minshew coming back is suddenly going to fix everything either. Like, I don't know that he's that type of guy, but he definitely brings you energy and brings you a little bit more hope than Foles did back there. Well, that's poison according to you. Well, not not always. Come on. Uh, it is when you're talking about Ronald Jones. Well, I'll let you take that I one. went back on my word. I have been staunchly opposed to messing with this backfield. And then today, in a moment of weakness, a moment, a moment of post-Thanksgiving haze, was asked a question about Mark Andrews versus Ronald Jones. And I said, you know what, Matt is right. Jacksonville does suck. There's so much wrong with this defense, especially Ronald Jones, we know he has the gliding ability. Ability. He's been talked up. He's gotten some work in the passing game. Yeah, Peyton Barber doesn't go away, but I believe in the explosiveness of Rojo. So, yes, I will go Rojo. Never again. Yeah, never again. 17 carries for Peyton Barber, 44 yards, and two damn touchdowns. When someone shows you who they are, Matt. Believe him the first time. Amen. Unless they used to have a bad back. In which case. <laughs> They ain't never going to carry you anyway. (laughs) And to preview the NFL pod, talk about a team that's going to be looking for a new head coach. Yeah. Your Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, for sure. It will be in the market. Washington might have a new... uh, Might. Uh, (laughs) Name the head coach, Liz. You know, hard to say. I was going to say general manager. Nope. Oh, Oh, no. Owner? No way. He'll be back. There are rumors that Bruce Allen is on the hot seat. So... I was talking about what about, but also hot not seat. after this win. Riverboat Ron, Carolina. Yeah, I was thinking. I thought you were going to make a joke about, hey, maybe this win is just enough to keep Bill Callahan as the head coach heading into twenty twenty. <laughs> I mean, all out embarrassment for the Carolina Panthers to lose at home to Washington. What What are we doing? Why? I don't know, man. You're the one with the connection. And, like, today was a microcosm of Kyle Allen's season because it started off great. Their first two drives, they go down and hit Curtis Samuel for a touchdown. They go down and hit DJ Moore for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really bad and nothing happens. And then there was a little bit of hope when he rushed a touchdown in towards the end. And then they recovered the onside kick just like there was a little bit of hope last week against New Orleans. And then it comes crashing down at the end this goofball on fourth down <laughs> like runs backwards when he's got a Jarius right open in the flat for a touchdown. And he takes this just, it just like makes the thing he just can't do. And this is a problem. Like we stretched the Kyle Allen run way too long. How many, how many times have you um, written about him in various articles? Him? Not often. 
at, at this point anymore because I think he is he has shown us who he is at this point, which is and you have finally believed him. Well, I mean, I hope ever, like I I thought this was probably the case all along, which is he's a good backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you need him for a stretch of a few games, you like that. But you don't need your backup quarterback out there starting from week three to the end of the season, which is what the Carolina Panthers are looking at at this point. And it's it's not good. I think it's going to get the entire the entire coaching staff is probably going to get turned over. I think David Tepper wants to make a change at coach. I think he wants to make a change at general manager, which is good because these two guys, Ron Rivera said after the game today, like, hey, it's a game of inches, and today the inches weren't on our side. What the hell are you talking about? Like, this is one of the most old-school organizations and I would list David like Tepper's not an old school owner. No, he's not. And I don't know if he's this sharp, you know, I mean, he, he when he got there, he re, he turned over the entire like business operation of the Panthers and brought a lot of his people in. But he left the football side alone for one year. And then in a second year, we've we've been with these this these three guys together, Tepper, Herney and Rivera. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case next year. And I think I think there's a, a lot of change coming to Carolina, which is. Weird because we know the Cam Newton question is hanging over this team and they have talent on offense. They have some talent on defense. I don't think it's I think it will be an attractive job when it opens up because you can either inherit Cam Newton and try to revive that. And an exhausted Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, sure. But one of the best offensive players in the NFL. Um, And but or you can start fresh at quarterback or you can do that at like two at once so there's a lot of potential with this job i think it will be attractive but i do think it's going to open up and it just was embarrassing what they did as a run defense today your boy darius geist goes 10 for 129 no john terry poe in this one so i think that contributed but gerald mccoy also left the game excellent point uh darius geist did look good it's not just what he did but how he did it and i love we said this on one of our ffl half times that he was getting looks in the passing game and this is even with chris thompson back yes nursing a toe issue and probably rusty but the fact that the Darius Geis is getting looks in the passing game and scored um I believe a touchdown through the air two weeks ago in his mm-hmm. uh Debut. first return from the season right is is telling to me and, and the knock against Geis right like coming out of LSU is this angry runner who didn't offer much in the passing game but now his game is evolving things are changing he looks explosive he looks angry even after all of these knee issues and setbacks I like that um, and I think that this is a player who's going to be on radars again in 2020 and deserves to be. I would completely agree with that. All right. Let's talk Oakland and Kansas City. Man, again, last week we talked about the Raiders. Was this a trap game for them? Was this not? And, you know, I think we both landed on the same adage we've kept saying this entire episode of when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And the Raiders aren't good. They showed it that the first time. And now we should just believe it. And two, this was... This was exactly my fear for Josh Jacobs in this game, who, as we mentioned on one of our halftime shows, was the second most expensive running back, the most expensive human running back uh, in week 13, behind only Christian McCaffrey, of course. In DFS. In DFS. Uh, and he <laughs> he goes for 104 yards on 17 carries, but that's like 10.4 points because he's a zero in the pass game. Once again... Yep is blanked in this one, which is just unbelievable to me that for whatever reason they don't use him in the passing game. But great, great matchup against a really bad run defense, but the Chiefs can run up on you in such a hurry. And, like, I don't care that Patrick Mahomes is like, giving us his two lowest passing outputs of his career the last two weeks because the Chiefs are still super effective as they ran the ball really well today. Um, Daryl Williams 
looked all right. LaShawn McCoy got in the box for six. Daryl Williams also caught a score. Patrick Mahomes ran in a score. And Darwin Thompson, Liz, my best ball teams, my dead-in-the-water best ball teams from the summer, they were thankful for at least one day. How does it feel? Not It feels not nothing. Okay. It feels like nothing because that hope, that hope is poison. Let me tell you what. Unless... Damian Williams misses another game. Daryl Williams got banged up in this one, too. We're looking at a Darwin Thompson. Just in time for the playoffs, Matt. You're prescient. And just in time to play the Patriots next week, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So, sick. Otherwise, everything was pretty pat or chalk, depending on which phrase you want to use. Travis Kelsey goes off for 90 yards. Um, Tyreek Hill only had 55 yards, but he had a couple big plays. Um, And, yeah. My boy, Michael Hardman, didn't do a whole lot of anything, but that's uh, that's okay. I believe he actually did. Uh, he had one carry for nine yards. Yeah, but he didn't do anything in the passing game. We should talk about Jared Goff and Sean McVay resurrecting their careers versus this uh, not great car- car- Cardinals defense. And Kyler Murray also coming back down to earth, regressing to the mean, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyler Murray ended up rushing in a touchdown, so like whatever. You, you're still not happy probably if you played him in fantasy. Not that this was – this was a pretty good bounce-back spot for the Rams defense. I was less convinced it was going to be a great bounce-back spot for the Rams offense, but the matchup was certainly there. Like you said, really bad defense. Um, and I don't know what to take away from this game for the Rams for the long term, but it was nice to see some of their guys pop back up in a in a great spot here. Todd Gurley in the running game, I think, is a big story because he has 19 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown, a long run of 11 yards. So that was like he was steady churning out yards all game, which was great to see. We know they've transitioned to more of a power run offensive line, and I think that fits who Gurley is as a runner. I think it makes things simple for Jared Goff. It's a slight mix up for Sean McVay, which I think he needs. I think he's taken, frankly, too long to get to. Um, but this was a really good, encouraging sign for Todd Gurley. Now you just got to, but I think this is the expectation for the team. They can make it work against bad defenses, but not on any sort of predictable or consistent basis. Also, I think something we talked about at the top of the season was that this offense was not. Um turbo, if you will, enough no. to support all three of these receivers. Brandon Cooks was finally back. Robert, he was back last week, too, but Robert Woods was back. Gerald Everett was out. Tyler Higby in the easiest matchup at the tight end position went off for 107 yards and a touchdown in Everett's absence. Now it looks like Everett is definitely banged up. Um, so Higby is going to be the guy and has been the guy in terms of the last two weeks uh, when you're looking at snap counts. So moving forward, he's an interesting piece. But then also Cooper Cup, as you predicted, bounced back. So uh, but Brandon Cooks did nothing. So I think um, if I'm looking at if Todd Gurley is able, if the matchup looks to me like Todd Gurley should be able to look like 2017-ish, 2018-ish version of himself, and he is the engine that runs this offense, then two of these receivers might be able to do something. I rare, I do not foresee yeah. a situation in which um, Jared Goff can carry or produce enough to ma- to support all three of these receivers. I, I agree with you. And... It's just it's going to be tough predicting which one was which, although this is definitely an easier one to see that it was going to be Woods, Cup, Higby, that type of situation. All right. And on the Arizona side of things, I just want to mention that even with Chase Edmonds back, he did not get a single touch. Kenyon Drake continues to own this uh, backfield. He was vultured by his quarterback, which Matt mentioned. But if you're looking for touches, Drake is still 
the play. Um, let's go to Denver, where my boy Liz Drew has perked Locke up everyone good against the Chargers for a half. <laughs> well, how many got the QB win? He sure did. I was very proud of him. I thought he looked much better than most people expected, frankly. He looked really happy, which was good to see. He's a happy guy. He smiles. I mean, 4.8 yards per attempt. You know what, Matt? (laughs) What? Can you just, in moment, like, if you had Melvin Ingram breathing down your neck. Oh, I mean, I'd hit my pants. And and Derwin James in his return taking away Noah Fant. I'd pee my pants, too. This this tight end that you're supposed to lean on that you had rapport in in the offseason because you're both in the same rookie class. And you still, like, Cortland Sutton played like an M-A-N. And Jeff Horman is in there doing work, too. I mean, come on. Like, th- let's give it to this kid. No uh, one no. expected the Broncos to win this damn game. Philip Lindsay carried the whole damn thing. Look, I'm not I'm not throwing any shade at Drew Locke's way. Good for him. He got himself a QB win and uh, did play much better than I expected. If you stream the Chargers defense, you're not totally thrilled at the results you got no, today. No, I did. I did, and I'm not. No sacks. <laughs> one pick. I think you were hoping for a lot more. Sure were. Yeah, so I mean, I'm look. I'm looking at the replay highlights right now of that uh, game-winning field goal, and Drew looks thrilled with himself. Good for him. Uh, it, it's weird though because the other the Chargers offensive pieces we're talking Melvin Gordon and then Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen outproduced like everybody on the Broncos side of things. Yeah, that's some. That's the Chargers. Yeah, like, you know what? That is what being a Charger. If there are the Chargers fans out there. This is what your life is. Like, Drew Locke heaves a prayer to Cortland Sutton and Casey Hayward pass interferes with it. And then they get to kick the field goal on the next play because mm-hmm. it brings them close enough. So, like, that's what being a Chargers fan is like. And that must be tough. Being a Packers fan is usually a pretty good gig. Being a Giants fan is not. But the Packers were able to bounce back from a stinging loss in Week 13 and should just go ahead and crown the Lazard King happening he's the number two i mean aaron Rodgers has been wanting this guy on the field seemingly all season by the way has there been like a more volatile player than aaron Rodgers all year like he goes games without scoring it it's like him and aaron jones are pushed, like emotionally uh, well, no uh aaron jones and aaron Rodgers for the most part have been like push and pull all year with the touchdowns like jones scores three aaron Rodgers throws four mm-hmm. like that's been the case all year um, I still think this is I think this is a good offense overall. I think they've been good on balance this year and they could definitely go out and crush a cream puff like the New York Giants. And then on the Giants side of the ball, like this is the Daniel Jones life. Like he's all right enough to prop up some of his weapons. You know, Sterling Shepard gets into the end zone. Caden Smith, Nate Boyer's guy. Six for 70. Six for 70. But uh, he's still good enough to also throw uh, three interceptions. Yeah. So, but yeah, Alan Lazard is a is a nice uh, waiver pickup. He made some big plays today. He's going to be that big play guy. The the offense has frankly been missing a big play element, and they get Washington next week. So, well, I was just looking up who their matchup was, and it is Washington. And right now, Lazard is owned in just five percent of leagues. And I don't know. I heard a rumor that there might be some wolf pack pickups, including Lazard. Well, we'll see. Mixing I'm, your reptiles and your mammals. Here. I'll be uh, convening with the wolf pack to see if he makes the cut as a, in terms of a wolf pick. Like all of our listeners, I'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> no one cares. So some combination of us will be back on Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. This will be it for week 13 because we're out. 
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.